Well, I know that for some of you, it's been a long time. But one of the things that's true about being in middle school or in high school is that there's this deep desire to fit in. And whether it's the clothes you wear or the things that you're good at or the things that you have, to just fit in and in that sense be normal is of high value of middle schoolers and high schoolers. And I I thought it'd be kind of fun for me to do a quick little trip down memory lane uh, for those of you who are a little bit older, but maybe more instructive for those who are younger, of what it looked like to fit in when I was in high school in the mid-90s. And so if, if, if you wanted to fit in at that time or what was normal would be um, baggy jeans. Skinny jeans did not exist. The, the baggier, the better. Oversized sweatshirts, which my daughter tells me are coming back. Um, athletic jerseys, at least that was me almost every single day. Um, for those of you who are younger, it was in my era when this was invented. The... Um, hoodie starter jacket, and I mean, if you didn't have one of those, I mean, you were not living life. Uh, For jeans, fitting in meant that you had one of these names on your jeans, Uh, Gerbo, Guess, Z-Cav, Calvin Klein. For shoes, and some of these will be familiar, you got Fila, that was pretty popular at the time. The, the Reebok pump basketball shoes that no one could afford, but you could press the little uh, basketballs on the top and your, your shoe would pump up. Uh, Air Jordans and Doc Martens. If you wanted to fit in in the mid-90s, some of you had these, uh, so did I. Um, Oakley's sunglasses. I mean, if they didn't have Oakley on the side, it, it just wasn't right. Uh, scrunchies. Not only on Full House, but uh, on every girl, scrunchies. Uh, And what about this thing? Some of you uh, who are younger have no idea what, what is a disc man? Um, This is, uh, this was all the rage. And you were really cool. It played CDs, by the way. It was really cool as if you had the attachment that you could play a disc man in your car because there weren't CD players in cars at the time, only cassette players. And then I thought about it. There's not CD players in cars anymore today either, <laughs> but in for entirely different reasons. So this is, this is what some of the things that it looked like to fit in when I was in high school. Now, I'd like to tell you that when you get out of high school, when you get out of middle school, this deep longing and desire, this need to fit in with the people around you goes away. But if I told you that, I'd be lying. It doesn't go away entirely. It changes, like I honestly don't care anymore what label or is on my jeans or on my sunglasses. I don't care about that anymore. But in many ways, this desire to fit in, like the stakes just get higher because you're not making decisions about clothes and sunglasses. You're, you're making, as adults, decisions about relationships, about marriage, about careers, 
about how you're going to use your money and how you're not going to use your money, about what you're going to focus and hone in your life on. The stakes just get higher and the pull remains. You see, whether you're in middle school, high school, or an adult, we all desire to fit in. But here's why we need to talk about it. The pull of the world, the values of the world, the perspective of the world rarely, rarely takes you in the right direction. And that's what this series is all about. I'd like to make it good to be different. Through this series, I'd like us all in certain ways to come away thinking, you know what? Normal's not always good and different can be better. And this series is about what does it look like to be different, but not only what it looks like, to recognize this, that when different means following Jesus, that's when different is better. When different means I'm going to center my life around who Jesus is and what he says and how he directs. Different will not always be easier, but different will always be better. And today we're gonna look specifically at what does it look like to have different values than the world? What does it look like to live differently than the world? And what we're going to do is we're going to look at a letter that was written um, around 65 AD, about 30 years after Easter. It's called the letter First Peter. Now, question. Anyone know who wrote this? See some heads nodding. Yeah, you guys are great theologians. It was written by Peter. He was one of Jesus' 12 disciples, and he experienced a lot in his life, a lot of things that I wish I could have experienced. I'm a little envious of Peter as he got to spend three years with Jesus. I had a list of things that Peter experienced. Um, he heard Jesus teach. He was right there for the Sermon on the Mount. He saw Jesus do miracles, whether that's water into wine or healing people, uh, raising Lazarus from the dead. He was there. Um, he witnessed Jesus' brutal death and crucifixion. If you were here on Easter, you, you saw how we looked at he was there at the empty tomb and he saw Jesus alive. He was one of the leaders of the early church. He helped spread the message of Jesus, not only from Israel, but across the then known world. But it wasn't all gumdrops and lollipops for Peter. He also suffered intense persecution of Jesus, or because of Jesus, I should say. And so did almost every Christian in the first century. And I know that for us in the 21st century, we might feel as if there's a little more persecution of, of Christians, and is it, is it harder sometimes to share what we think or believe? Yeah, I can see that, but what we go through day to day is, is nothing like what those first century Christians went through. 
there was a, a crazy emperor in uh, Rome at the time of Peter that when he wrote this, his name was Nero. And he was crazy in a lot of ways, but one thing he hated were Christians. And so he would throw them out into arenas with lions and just kind of watch this for some sort of sick kind of entertainment. Uh, It was known that at times he would take Christians, he would cover them in wax, and he would light them on fire to light up roads and different things, just intense persecution of Christians. And so do you know why Peter is writing this letter? He's writing it in part to encourage followers of Jesus in the first century that in some ways you're not going to be able to be normal, to encourage them to continue to be different and what that looks like and why it's so important. In, In the very first verse of this letter that Peter writes, there's this very interesting title that he gives to the the Christians who are receiving this letter. Very interesting and so very important. Let's look at the very first verse of the letter. As he's writing, he's sort of addressing it. I'm writing this to God's elect, his chosen, exiles scattered through the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And I want to focus on this title or of exile. In the Greek, it can also be translated with the English word alien or stranger or foreigner. Now, if you're someone who has read the Old Testament or at least parts of it, and you think or hear the word exile, you might think of the Israelites as they were taken out of their homeland of Israel and literally physically taken and then have to live in Babylon. The Babylonian captivity might be uh, something you've heard about before. And these were exiles who were physically taken from Israel to Babylon. This is not what Peter's talking about here. The people in these regions of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, and so on, they, um, they weren't people who had physically been taken from their homeland. Many of the people he's writing to had never physically moved ever. So how are they exiles? What does he mean? I think it gets cleared up for us in part if we were to look two verses later. A very popular section that we actually looked at on Easter as well. Listen to what Peter writes in verse three. It says, in God's great mercy, he has given us those who believe in Jesus new birth, a new life into a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We're going to talk more about this a little bit later, but that Jesus' death and resurrection changes everything. We talked about that on Easter. And through that, you receive an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Where is this inheritance? It is kept in heaven for you. See, when you believe in Jesus, when you follow him, when you become a Christ follower, you become a part of God's family through faith. And you know what else happens? This world, this sinful world, no longer is your home. 
When you follow Jesus, this world is no longer your final destination. This is no longer where you're from. And I think that that understanding mentally of who I am and where I'm from is actually one of the most important mental things that we could ever focus and concentrate on because it really does change our perspective on life. Uh, I'll say it this way in our first fill-in. Where you are from will direct where you focus. Where you are from is in part who are you, and it will direct how you focus. It will direct what's important to you and what's not. It'll direct where you invest your time and where you don't. What you get upset about and what you do, don't get upset about. Where you're from will direct where your focus. And this is such an important point that I, I actually went deeper into it than I thought I was going to uh, before writing the message uh, this week. But I think this is going to be super clarifying for all of us. So when you're someone who's from a different country, but in a foreign land, in a new land, in a new country, there are probably at least three different ways you can view that, three different postures you can take, three different categories. There's probably more, but I'm going to focus on three. Um, the first is this category. Uh, someone who's not from this land might be a category of immigrants. And I know there's a, a lot of different uh, definitions of immigrant and a lot of baggage around it in our culture right now. Take that baggage aside and, and listen to what I'm saying here. An immigrant at its root or at its base is someone who has decided that even though they're from another country or another place, they're going to leave that place and this is going to become their new home. This is going to be the place that they focus on. And yes, they might be from somewhere else, but now they are putting down roots. They're going to focus on this place. This is where they are now from. This is where they focus. And I've seen a lot of Christians who would view their time in this world as immigrants. And what I mean by that is they almost forget about where they're from, and they just put all of their focus on this life and finding happiness here and success here. And it's all about here, here, here. Entirely forgetting that they're not from here. And when it comes to our posture as followers of Jesus, we are not immigrants. Another category, I suppose, of someone from another country coming to a different country would be that of tourist. And they know they're only here for a time. And so they do the touristy things, and they, they go to the touristy restaurants, and they get the I Love New York t-shirt, and they, they just... they. They know they're here for a time, and so they don't really engage. They stay on their Greyhound bus, and they go in and they go out, and they just talk with the people that they know that are from the, the other place, the other country. And they don't enroll their kids in school, and they don't, you know, get a gym membership. They're tourists. They're only here for a time, and so they're 
not willing to put down roots. They don't engage at all. That's how I see some Christians think of how they act or what they should be like. And it's good to remember you're not from here, but what's not good is as Christians, we separate entirely from the culture. God doesn't want us to sort of form our own little Christian cliques where we don't ever engage with people who don't know him as their savior, because if we did that, guess what we couldn't do? We couldn't be lights in a dark world. We couldn't share the message of Jesus. And so when it comes to who we are, we're, we're not tourists either. So what are we? Well, what did Peter call us? He said, exiles. And I, I know that word doesn't sound so good, but, but think about it at its root. What's an exile? Someone who's from another place. They're in a new place for a while. Usually they don't know how long it's going to be because it's not in their control. They never forget where they're from. And in a way, they really long to go back. But while they're here, they engage. While they're in the place they're at, they, they need to put down roots. They need to treat this as their home for a time. In fact, when the Israelites were exiled to Babylon, that was exactly the direction he gave them physically. And when it comes to spiritually, I can't think of a, a better analogy for what it's like or what God wants us to think about as Christians in this world. We, we long to go home, but we're not gonna be separatists. We're gonna engage. We're going to enjoy the time we have, always mindful that this is not our homeland. As exiles and as aliens who have a different home, and yet still feel the pull towards the values and ideals of this world. Peter writes this. Therefore, exiles, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. I want you to, to notice where Peter directs this, this discussion about values and a Christian life in the world, where he directs it first, right here. The mind. What are we thinking about and where, is our mind, where are our minds at? Um, we did an entire sermon series back, I think it was in the fall, on the importance of our minds. Uh, it was called uh, I Declare War, and how our minds so often always affect so many other things. Uh, I love the, the word here uh, in the Greek, the minds that are alert, literally, and I understand why they didn't translate it this way in the NIV, because it wouldn't make a lot of sense to us unless we explain it. it literally, it's um, gird up the loins of your mind, is what Peter writes, which doesn't make any sense. And... <laughs> In English, and part of that is because people nowadays we wear pants and we uh, and and Nikes, right? But not back then. 
most men wore robes or togas and with long flowy things at the bottom. I don't know what you call them. I'll just call them long flowy things. And if you were in a battle or you needed to get away from something or if you were getting ready to engage in something that you needed to be active in, you know what you needed to do? You needed to get those long flowy things and you needed to tuck them in your belt. You know what that's called? Girding up your loins. It's just kind of fun to say. Um, You need to tuck the flowy things into your belt so that you could be agile, that you could run, that you could fight. And and that's what Peter is saying when it comes to exiles living in a different land, that it's right here is where it starts. And are we aware, are we girding up the loins of our mind to recognize there's a battle going on? You need to hear me tell you that. And some of you know that, but you need to remember it every day. We are in a battle. We're in a battle. Every so often you hear a a news story about how some wild animals from a zoo somehow get out and they put the community on alert. I, I remember... I think it was over 10 years ago now, but there was a place in Ohio where someone who was not all mentally where he should be actually opened cages of a whole bunch of wild animals. And there was literally lions walking, not only in the zoo, but in the community. Now, let me ask you this question. If you're on a walk in your neighborhood and you knew that there were lions around, would it change the way you walk? You know what you'd do? You'd probably gird up your loins, okay? (laughs) It absolutely would change the way you'd look. It would change the way you think. It would, you'd be careful. In one of the most famous verses in this same letter, it's towards the end, Peter uses the exact same imagery about our minds. And he says this, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And if you're walking in your neighborhood and there's a lion somewhere, you're probably going to be walking in fear. That's where the analogy limps. Because we have the almighty God on our side And there is not one reason that you need to fear when it comes to this battle. We do not need to be scared. Hear me say that. But you know what we should be? Alert. What we should be is aware. Our second fill-in for today is this, that you are in a spiritual battle every single day. And and like I said, this isn't something that needs to scare us or that we need to be worried about. We just need to be aware of it, alert to it, and recognizing that the things we think about and the things we do or the things we don't do, there's an impact there. They make a difference. 
Peter writes a little bit more about this as we continue verse 14. He says, and then as obedient children, he just got done talking about being self-controlled and alert, don't conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, when you did not understand that you're exiles, when you didn't understand the grace and love of Jesus. The, you know the word conform. It, it, it comes even in the English from the idea of being put in a form, looking like everything else. You know what a form is? You can put like Plato in there and everything comes looking out the same, right? It says, don't do that. Don't conform to the way you were before. We need to realize that going along with the values and ideals of the world, if they are in conflict with God, that it's dangerous. The choices we make matter. The the things that we do or don't do, they, they don't matter when it comes to your salvation and they don't make God love you any more or less but they matter when it comes to our health, our spiritual health. They, they matter. And, and Peter continues in verse 15, he says, and just as he who called you is holy, just as God who called you to be his, he's holy without sin. In fact, he's set apart is what holy means, set apart as different. So be holy, he says, Be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. What is God's direction for our values? What is God's direction for how we think about issues? He's saying the way that that I think, the way that I act as I am holy is the exact same way that you should as followers of Jesus. Now, here's the thing. We so often, as a culture and individually, mess up on this, and we replace be holy with a different H word, I believe. So be happy in all you do. That it seems like our greatest pursuit, and I fall into this too, is finding happiness and God has called us to find holiness. And so we hear things, or at least we think things like this. If it, if it makes you happy, then you, you gotta do it. You gotta pursue it. If, it. if it makes you happy, then it's the right thing for you. And, and sometimes that might be true. And you can be happy and holy at the same time, but many times it's not. And our number one pursuit is is holiness rather than happiness. And I was thinking about, I mean, this is an entire series on its own, but maybe a couple areas that I want to point out that I I feel that this is the most prevalent um, in the world that we live in. And then I thought about it. It's kind of always been some of these these three categories. Um, The first of people sort of pursuing happy rather than holy, at least short-term happiness, is in um, the area of sexuality. People's view and activity around sex and sexuality um, has always been messed up. 
the, the, the Roman Empire, it, it, it was messed up too. But I didn't live in the Roman Empire. I wasn't a pastor in the Roman Empire. I'm a, a pastor here. And I think one of the things I've observed is like we're kind of to a point where as long as two people are of age and it's consensual, well, then anything goes. And that if we talk about words like abstinence or monogamy, which are very biblical and very important, that it's almost as if you get looks from certain people as that that's some sort of suppressive way to live. And yet, at the very same time, marriages are in shambles more than ever, and people are suffering emotionally and mentally from sexual hurts often from the past and the light way that we treat sex and sexuality, which God, for a very good reason, decided to guard around and in the confines of a committed man and woman, two people. Another area I think would be money. And we talk about this often because Jesus did and how Jesus, a lot of his parables were around money and around the um, reality that one of the things that tends to be our greatest idol is our stuff. And yet at the same time, you and I both know that whatever it is we really wanted, we really wanted to buy. And when we got that, how long did it make you happy? Or maybe for others of us, maybe we thought at one time, if, if my salary just got to here, then I'll be fine. The rest is just frosting. And somehow, somehow our, our cost of living and the things that, the way that we live always tends to just always hit up against that ceiling and, and money doesn't bring us happy either. Or, or maybe pursuing happy rather than holy in the area of truth. And, you know, we hear this message that what's right for you is right for you. And yet God's truth is different. So here's an easy thing to say, but a hard thing to do. Number three, different, as we kind of summarize these this value talk, different is pursuing holiness, pursuing God's will in every area of life, pursuing holiness instead of primarily happiness. Now, the cool thing is, and this is because God is so amazing that a lot of times we pursue holiness, we pursue God's will, and you know what gets thrown in? Happiness as well. Or I like the 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 spiritual fruit word of joy. It's a little different than happiness, but it, it is amazing how so often these two things go together. But what is different? Different is pursuing holiness instead of happiness. Now, <clears throat> at this point, if you are totally overwhelmed by what Peter's writing and what God is asking, be holy as I am holy, then you're with me mentally because it is overwhelming. And there is no way that we can be holy on our own. And the awesome thing is 
that even as we pursue holiness, we don't have to be holy on our own. And, and that's the encouragement that Peter gives in these last verses. It says this, verse 17, since you call on a father, God, who judges each person's work impartially, he's a loving father, but also a very just judge, live out your time as foreigners, exiles here on earth until you get home where you're from in heaven in reverent fear. Not fear like scared, but in reverent fear as in like a, a fear or respect and awe of God. Um, I'm not feeling better yet. Verse 18. For you know that it wasn't with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but you are redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Man, there is so much richness in these verses. Some of us just need to read them over and over again. When, as we talked about last week, we're feeling that guilt or feeling that shame, there is so much here. Let me point out a couple quick things. First is the word redeem. Um, the catechism definition of redeem is to buy back, but the contextual way that it was often used, not always, but often, was in the idea of someone's freedom as a slave being purchased and won for them, that they go from being a slave to a free person. And, and you know that thing in us that just knows that as hard as I try to be holy in an unholy world, in thought, word, and deed, that I know I can't do it. You know why that is in part this side of heaven? Because we are slaves still a little bit. This side of heaven, we're not gonna be able to get it right because sin has a partial hold on us yet. But when it comes to the eternal consequences of that sin, not with gold or silver, but as it says, with the precious blood of Jesus shed on the cross, even though I don't always look holy, even though you aren't always looking like saints, when God sees you because of that powerful blood of Jesus, he sees his holy son. When we trust in him as our savior, he gives to us Holiness as a gift. And so number four, holy is not something I can earn. It's something Jesus earned for me. Now, that doesn't mean we don't keep pursuing holiness. Live who you are. God calls you holy. Let's work towards living that way. But let's not then be depressed by it, but instead recognize that even in my failings, God gives me his holiness because of Jesus. And it doesn't just redeem you so that you're receiving something eternally, but I'm going to go back to a word or a phrase here. It says, he's also redeemed you from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. Do you know, or have you ever experienced this life just seeming to be a little empty, that the things that you looked forward to didn't fulfill, that the vacation that made you so happy for 10 months leading up to it, now is over, and now I gotta go back home. 
part of that, not all of it, but part of it is we're putting too much focus here and we're forgetting that we're exiles and there is a better way to live. Every single day, living for our God with different values. Yes, we are different. We're not normal. We're better than normal. A better life and purpose with Christ than without him. So what's your application for today? How about this? What if you spent a little bit of time doing this? Identified just one area of your life where if you're to be honest, you've been pursuing happiness first instead of God's will. One area that you've been pursuing happiness instead of holiness. Maybe that's in your dating relationship. Maybe that's in your career. Maybe that's in how you use the things that you have, your, your time, your scheduling. And it doesn't mean that those things need to totally go away. It's just the mindset has been maybe wrong. What's one area like that? And then number two, what's one step you can change, take to change that? Maybe it's being deliberate in in giving more. Maybe it's tweaking something on your schedule. Maybe it's putting some separation between you and maybe some people who are leading you in the wrong direction. I don't know what it is, but I think this would be a great way to apply today. I want to close with a short story. Um, it, it's been said that a uh, story about Abraham Lincoln, that there was a time in his life where he, uh, as you know, slavery was uh, part of American culture at the time. And he went down to the, the, the slave trading docks and he decided to bid on a young girl who was being sold. And he eventually won the bid and as he was walking away with the girl, he looked at her and said, uh, I want you to know you're free. And she looked at him, totally surprised, as you might expect, and asked the question, what does that mean? <laughs> and he said, it means you're free. And she says, so does that mean that I can say whatever I want to say? He said, yeah, you can say whatever you want to say. Does that mean that I can do whatever I want to do? I said, yep, you can do whatever you want to do. She asked, does that mean I can go wherever I want to go? And he said, yes, dear, you can go wherever you want to go. And as the story goes, she said, well, then I'll go with you. In a world that's confused more than ever, may we go with the one who purchased our freedom. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, first of all, just thank you for winning us our freedom both for now and for eternity. And Lord, 
we all need to confess that we don't always live like the holy children that you've called us to be. And, and we confess those sins, but we will not let them overcome us because Jesus paid the price for them. And so instead, in refreshment of your grace, we recommit to just going with you, even if that means not being normal, even if that means the world giving us weird looks, even if that means living counterculturally, even if that means being different, we go with you. And we thank you for the new life you give to us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.